giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. Do you feel like you have little control over this process? Do you want to learn about all of your birthing options? Do you understand the reasons behind policies and protocols that stand in the way of your preferences? As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being an observant Jewish mom, I take a special interest in the unique implications of this lifestyle. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to the third episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. Today, I am joined again by Mr. Yovazet Academy, my husband, Tovia, to tell you our consecutive birth stories of our following three children. And they were so much better, each one increasingly better than our first birth story. So welcome again, Tovia. Hi. You've really become a pro at this. Okay, so let's start with our second child, Nisano. He was born one and a half years after our first child, Sarala. And it's very interesting to me because I think back, you know, all the people around me, my friends, family, no one talked about birth control at that time. It was kind of a taboo topic. And when I went for my postpartum visit after Sarala, no one said anything to me about it. Like the doctor didn't ask me if I considered it. The doctor didn't educate me and tell me that it's healthy to have one to one and a half years to recover from birth, which has been shown through data. The doctor didn't offer me any options and didn't describe to me the different methods of birth control. And everyone around me was just having kids close together. So Even though at that point, postpartum, I was kind of struggling with just recovering and everything, I still kind of just thought that if everyone else can do it, then why can't I do it? Something would be wrong with me. Months later, when I actually did get pregnant with Nisano, I was doing really well, actually. Once it was a few months in from my first birth, we got into a routine and it was really wonderful and pleasant for me. I was actually scared that my life would end after I had our first child and it was really wonderful actually. So I said, okay, I can do it. I got pregnant shortly I have there. to interject. Sarla was a, a very precocious child. She hit all the milestones early. She was eager to learn. She wanted to do. This kid wanted to be 15 the minute she popped out. So we sort of like, we were fooled a little between not knowing anything about the benefits of maybe waiting a little and having a really good precocious baby. It was sort of a no-brainer just to go for the next one, whether we could have used a little space or not. Yeah, and me reading up on all the things that I read up on, I was a little crazy and I was scared of secondary infertility. Looking back, that was crazy. 
I know that was crazy then, but my postpartum hormones may have led me to act in irrational ways. She said it, not me. You did, you know, throw in some subtle hints then. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, there was really no education. Maybe for other people there was, but I didn't really get any guidance about birth control. I really assumed that it was majorly taboo and a last resort in the from world with following halacha. I didn't have my kala teacher talk to me about it. I had one friend who had a baby around the same time as me and she told me that she was on birth control and planning on being on birth control for at least the first six months after giving birth. I remember then thinking that she couldn't handle things. My mind resorted to that judgment. She was pretty open about it with her friends. I remember her telling me that her mother said to her, like, stop talking about it. Don't advertise that you're on birth control. Because the previous generation, either they didn't talk about it or they didn't go on birth control. And it was a different generation with different challenges and a different life setup, and maybe less knowledge. There weren't enough resources and information out there. But either way, I got pregnant, and like you said, our first was super precocious. And just about the time that I got pregnant was when she started walking around and destroying our house and kept me running after her. So needless to say, it was a hectic time to get pregnant. With my first, because I gained so much weight and because my body changed so much, I had a really hard time adjusting to that after I gave birth to her. I went on an extreme diet. I lost weight. I got back to my pre-pregnancy weight maybe even lower than that. When I got pregnant, because I was so afraid, I was super restrictive in my eating habits. I would go to the gym every single day, work out a lot. It was definitely a huge focus of mine when I was pregnant. Now, knowing what I know, everyone's bodies are different, and my body is just meant to gain more weight than the recommended quote-unquote amount. I'm a huge advocate for health at every size. So I'm not encouraging tracking your weight gain. We'll talk a lot about health at every size, how it relates to pregnancy and postpartum in future episodes. But interestingly enough, that baby out of all my four babies was the biggest. He was eight and a half pounds, whereas all the others were in the seven pound range. So obviously I was a lot busier with this pregnancy. For me, probably the hardest part was that he was born in September. The three months in the summer were really intense. Being pregnant over the hot months is much harder. I got hot flashes, I couldn't breathe. I had a hard time walking down the street. The sun bothered me, I had to sit down, pull a lounge chair, get hydrated. Connie had to take really great care of me during those times. Thank you so much, Jerry. I'm so indebted to you for that. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> it's so hard to be no, a but it's, it's, pregnant you, woman's you, husband. You see, during the hot weather, it's much harder for the ladies to carry the baby. And now what I see from my professional experience is that in the summertime, we have a lot more patients come in with contractions that are not the kind of contractions that will cause labor per se. It's just because they're not hydrated well enough because you need a lot more hydration when you're pregnant in general. And in the summertime, because you're sweating a lot more because you're hotter, so your body's 
requiring more fluid, you need all that much more. I did have that actually sometime in the summer. I remember it was after Shabbos where we had a simcha. I think we had Shabbos Shavu Brachos. It was an extremely hot day. And for those of you who are not affiliated, Shabbos is the day of rest on Saturday for Orthodox Jewish people. And we walked around a lot that day. And I paid for it the next day. So we ended up in the hospital in triage. I actually convinced them not to give me an IV because I was so traumatized from the extreme pain that I had with my IV when I gave birth to Sarla, our first. And I just hydrated a ton and I was able to get away with it. So that's that's a heads up to all the moms and the dads to look out if you're going to be pregnant during June, July, August, September. Beware, you got to be conscious about hydrating. Especially toward the later months of pregnancy because your baby's bigger and your blood volume in your body is increasing more and more. Because remember, you're responsible for producing the blood volume for your baby. And you need to drink so much more than you think you do. Misano was born towards the end of September. So we went through the, the those hot months. Yeah, I remember how... It was like summer, and then I gave birth, and I came home, and it was winter. Seriously, I felt like it was overnight. I went to the hospital, had the baby, came home, and it was winter. Yeah, it was the end of September, the beginning of October, and it may have, that year, the season may have switched pretty fast. Yeah. So going back to the pregnancy, this time I was getting even smarter, reading up even more, trying to see how I could have prevented some of the unpleasant experiences that I had with Sarla. And I spoke a lot more to our doctor, who was the same doctor that we saw throughout the pregnancy with Sarla. Not the doctor that attended Sarla's delivery, but another doctor from that group. And I asked that doctor about doing immediate skin-to-skin with my baby, which I had started reading about the benefits of that and delayed cord clamping. And when I asked the doctor about it, he said, just a hard cold, no. So then I said, why not? And I remember he paused for a second. He looked a little bit caught off guard. And then he says, because if you tear and I have to stitch you up, then you might go out and put your hands up in the air and drop your baby. That was the answer that I got. It was probably the first time that someone even questioned him about that. And it was that visit that I went home and thought long and hard and said, I need to change providers. This is just ludicrous. I realized what a ludicrous answer it was. And I was just turned off by the fact that the doctor didn't think about it. He just said no, probably because he wasn't used to it and that wasn't standard practice, but As I stress over and over again, nobody is standard. There's no such thing as standard people. And he could have just taken the time to converse with me and say, oh, why do you want to do that? And I would explain to him all of the benefits that I read about it. Since then, at least since I've started working seven years ago, that's become standard practice. And in many hospitals, it's basically the policy because we know the benefits. I can't go into the benefits, all of them right now. That would take a really long time. But anyway, 
That was my sign that I need to change providers. And I found a midwife group that actually worked alongside this doctor's group in case anything would necessitate the care of a doctor. Midwives are extremely qualified. They are qualified to take care of someone pregnant with no complications, and they are qualified to do a lot of GYN care. They're qualified to provide care for a mother who's high risk, and they would do it in conjunction with a doctor. And I just really like the holistic model. I used to think that a midwife was like a doula, that they weren't really qualified and that you couldn't get an epidural or any medical interventions if you used a midwife, that they were too crunchy for my liking and that maybe I wouldn't get safe care. Since then, when I did the research, I realized that it would be a great option for me. And I was not disappointed. I felt really happy. I switched in the middle of my pregnancy. And this is just an encouragement to anyone who is listening to this and using a provider that feels wrong for them. You can switch providers. Sometimes you're limited because of the providers in your area, because of health insurance. So there are definitely limitations, but you do have choices and you should explore them. And I felt like, The midwives supported my preferences to, again, attempt a low-intervention birth. And this time, I was a lot more motivated to not get an epidural. Do you know why? Because of the IV that I hated so much (laughs) the last time. It sounds crazy, but it was really, really painful. And to this day, IVs are super painful for me. Anything else that you remember about the pregnancy, Tove? So with Nisano, we decided together that we wanted to find out what we were having. and uh, As par for the course. Right. I think at that point, we really just wanted to know because we had a girl. And now we wanted to know if it was going to be another girl or a boy. So we agreed on that. We didn't feel that way about future pregnancies necessarily, which you'll hear about. But for Nisano, we wanted to know. Um, I recall, first of all, we took a doula again. We secured the same doula. And I think it's partially because we weren't sure if there was anything better out there i don't think we at that point really realized all of the things that we spoke about with our birth story with sarla i had a rapport with her you know she wasn't i'm not gonna say she was terrible i would say she was average so she didn't do anything bad it was just a matter of her not going to bat for us and empowering us and providing maybe things that would have made the whole process better but we didn't really know about what could be so like you said because we had the rapport with her we had bonded with her um we went with her again because we knew we wanted somebody to be there and we had that rapport with her so she was hired put on board um and then we went to get the sonogram one of the sonograms for nasano the anatomy scan, the anatomy scan, which happens somewhere between 18 and 22 weeks where they look at all of the organs of the baby very closely to make sure that there are no concerns. So we went to the office and we're, Khani's propped up on the table and the sonogram, the sonographer starts scanning and I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the screen, trying to figure out what's what and trying to admire, oh, that's the cute little kidneys and trying to pretend like I could tell what I'm looking at and make believe they're so cute and everything because that's, that's my child in there. And then all of a sudden, we're, you know, everything's quiet. And then she goes, oh my gosh, 
my heart dropped. I'm like, what, what, what's wrong with my kid? This is the ultrasound tech, the sonographer, not the doctor. So she was a very austere, stern person. And like, she barely smiled at us or said anything the whole time. And all of a sudden she's like, oh my gosh. So we both freaked out and thought something was severely wrong with the baby. Of course, I was like, wait, what's up? You know, what's the problem? She took a picture and she said to us, I never saw such a big nose on a baby. Really? Come on. That's what you're flipping out about? And she showed us the picture from the profile of the baby. There's a shadow. You can't really see exactly whatever. His nose looked big in the picture. So it was like funny, but I was annoyed. New parents are not new parents. You don't do that on, on a scan, you know. Maybe it was funny for her. It was not funny for me because for the duration of the pregnancy, that was at the forefront of my mind. And when he was born... The first thing that Khani said when he came out is like, I, when he came out, I was just, I was so enthralled with him and so happy. I had forgotten, long forgotten about that. But the first thing that was on the poor the, mommy's he mind. He cried. Let's, let's just say that the first thing was that he cried and he was okay. All right. I'm not that crazy. Okay. So once he cried and was okay, the first thing that the poor word mommy wanted to know is Khani's like, is his nose okay? I so thought he, he was going to have a Pinocchio nose. Yeah. His nose was fine. Yeah. He's. He also has a really funny sense of humor, so I feel like he just did it on purpose to freak us out. Probably. So let's get to the birth. I had a more supportive provider, and actually the midwife that attended the birth was my favorite of all of them. She was also the most experienced of all of them. Did we go into, you went into labor at home? So... As I said earlier, I would go to the gym every day and I made friends with someone who was pregnant and due about a month or so after me. So we would just talk about everything and I thought maybe this time I would go a little bit earlier because a lot of people will tell you that your first one you're going to be the most overdue with, which is, I don't see that from my anecdotal experience. But I thought, oh, so maybe this time I'll go a little bit earlier. So 37 weeks came. 38 weeks came, 39 weeks came, 40 weeks came. So at that point, I was just thinking in my head, all right, I'm going to go to 41 weeks at least. The same thing that I did with Sarla. There's no use in anticipating anything sooner so that I'm not disappointed. So I was at the gym Sunday morning with my friend on the treadmill. And when I went to the bathroom, I noticed some bloody show which can be a sign of cervical change, which can be a really good sign. Bloody show is like mucus mixed with some tinged blood. And maybe I was feeling a little bit of contracting. I wasn't sure. But then I thought, ooh, maybe something's really happening. I was 40 weeks and four days. But again, I was in denial given what happened with Sarva with their first birth. The midwives had told me that second births go much faster and it was hard to believe. That's not uncommon. It's just really hard to believe that a birth can go faster when you had a really long first birth, but it's true. So I came home, I don't know, had a light snack or something. And I told you, I said, hmm, I'm wondering if maybe something's cooking. And sure enough, the contractions got more and more intense. And at one point you said to me, you know, should I bring Sarla to her grandparents? I think either your parents or my parents were watching her. And I said, no, nothing's doing yet. I'm getting a little bit of contractions, but of course I was in denial. At one point I said, okay, maybe it's time to bring her and let's see what happens. Worst case, we'll just pick her back up if it's not time to go. So you went to bring her. I was home by, her, by myself. And then like while you were still out bringing her, 
Do you remember this? I called you frantically and said, get home right now. The contractions are really bad. When did we call the doula? I think she came and then we went basically straight away. That's, that's what happened with her. With the third one, the doula met us already in the hospital. But with him... I remember. The neighbors were all watching. We left the house with the suitcases and everything. She was there with us. Yeah, and the neighbors were a little bit socially um, awkward. And they were standing out there watching me in full-blown labor. Huffing and puffing, and they're just staring at us. Like walking down (laughs) the outdoor steps. There was a long flight of steps that were outside. And they were just standing there, like watching. Like it was just a regular summer afternoon. And they said to me, Oh, are you in labor? Are you going to the hospital? Like, just chatting. Like, just, how are you? How's your day going? And I was like, just go away, okay? It's not appropriate. Once we got to the hospital, I was a good, like, six or seven centimeters. Did I drive there or did we take a taxi with this one? No, no, you drove. Uh, maybe you didn't because the I think we took a taxi crazy. and then we got stuck behind. We told the taxi driver, don't go through Borough no, 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 Park. No, that was that was, that was with, with Ellie. Ellie? Yeah. Okay. So, so I still drove. Yeah, you still drove. And when... We almost got into an accident, I think. Well, probably because you were just nervous again. Yeah. So once I got to the hospital, I was in denial. I was scared that I got there too soon. I was scared that they were going to send me home. But I was a good like six centimeters dilated. And that was really a relief. So once I got into, they admitted me, and again, I really wanted to try not to have an epidural at that point. So once they admitted me to the room, again, I was a low-risk pregnancy, thankfully. No complications, no concerns. Labor was going as it should, planned not to have an epidural. And given what I had read and spoken about with the midwives, I knew that it would not be unsafe for me at that point to not have an IV and I really did not want an IV so the the midwife was with us the whole time and she was extremely supportive understanding we felt more care and support during this labor experience definitely and that's kind of the philosophy of midwifery they are typically more hands-on and midwives typically promote physiological birth a little bit more than the medical model of care. That's not to say that doctors won't do that either, but it's just more of the like philosophy behind midwifery. Anyway, I remember telling the nurse that, no, I I don't want an IV. And of course, them all looking at me like I'm pretty strange. And them judging me. The midwife bent to bat, though, backed you up. and Yeah, she just said, no, she doesn't need an IV. And I remember the nursing staff looking at me They were pissed because it was breaking protocol the typical protocol and we were giving back we were giving birth in a baby factory and this is what they did and they didn't want to be bothered with something different again it's a standard procedure and i'm not standard and i don't want an iv and at that point again it would not be unsafe for me not to have one anyway i labored with our doula and just like they said labor was much shorter thankfully but when i got to being fully dilated it took a while for me to get the baby out i expected to push for not as long as i pushed with sarla and i had pushed for 30 minutes with sarla but i ended up pushing for 30 minutes with nisano too even though i didn't have an epidural even though it was a second birth i wonder if because the baby was probably he was probably still higher up in my pelvis maybe that's why it took longer to push but 
he got out. <laughs> and I was, I was pretty helpless the whole time. Again, I was just standing there at the bedside. I was saying Psalms to heal him, just trying to say whatever supportive stuff I can without getting yelled at or beat up or thrown out of the room by the very laboring mom. Yeah, you learned from the first time. Everyone's different in terms of how they want their partner to support them, but I just felt like the doula just had more tools. No offense, Tove, but, you know, that was her specialty. And I felt very supported by you just davening, just praying, just saying to Hillem, and the doula being the one to really help me with all the things. So thankfully, I gave birth to a healthy baby boy. As I was pushing, I was watching the clock because it was close to Shkia, close to sunset. And for those of you who are not affiliated with Judaism, the Jewish days start from nightfall, from after sunset. So I knew that if he were born, we knew we were having a boy, I knew that if he were born after sunset, then it would be considered the next day. And the bris, the circumcision ceremony, is on day eight. And eight days from that time would have been Arab Rosh Hashanah, the eve before the Jewish New Year Rosh Hashanah. Which is just a crazy, hectic, busy time of year. And, you know, every child's a blessing and a circumcision, a bris would have been a huge blessing. But we were like... I, not, I didn't say squat. It's not my business. But Hani was like, if I can get this baby out while it's still Sunday and we can have a Sunday bris, that would make things so much easier. And sure enough, I did. I got him out seven minutes before Shkia. <laughs> and so we had a Sunday bris. Yeah, it was nice. It was a fun bris because Sunday's just, you know, everyone's off. They're not rushing off to work. And the bris ceremony is traditionally done early in the morning. So it really was a beautiful bris. Thank God that delivery and the days after brought their own set of challenges. Thank God we had both sets of loving families wanting to help out and figuring out logistics of where we would be able to get the most help, what would be the most comfortable. I was in nursing school at the time. You were, you were in nursing school. And that was a, a pretty challenging schedule. But thank God it all worked out. And maybe in another episode, we'll talk about the immediate postpartum care with the dynamics of so much love and so much family and bringing in external help or everything. Bring- uh, yeah, I, we'll talk about the whole postpartum experience on another episode. One thing I'll say is, is that it's really important to focus on what the new parents need in terms of help and everyone wants to help in their own way. But a lot of times people think that the family needs a certain type of help when the new parents don't need that help. They need something else. So I just think that it's good to have the awareness that really... It's a balance between I know better, I know what's good for you, and then empowering the new parents to make their own decisions. They may be great for them, they may not be great for them, but it is their decision. And um, if you could support them in it, great. If not, you got to take a step back and let the parents do what they want. The other two births were... Even better. Even better and... and Just redeeming, right? We were more empowered and they were more enjoyable and... um, Yeah, when we look back, we just have such fond memories compared to even the second birth. I just wanted to say one more thing about the second birth. After I gave birth, I didn't have an IV. So typically Pitocin is given postpartum and it has been shown to decrease the rate of hemorrhage in a mother tremendously. I didn't have an IV, so for someone who doesn't have an IV after they give birth, we can give it through a shot. And I remember declining it. Of course, again, I was met with annoyance. 
But knowing what I know now, I would not have declined it. I would have accepted it. The thing is, is that I was not explained anything. Like no one explained to me what Pitocin is, what it does, why it's recommended for after the birth. I just heard of Pitocin as this evil medication that you want to avoid at all costs. But it just goes to say that if someone doesn't have all of the information, which is a huge focus of this podcast and everything that I do, then they can't make a truly informed decision. And if someone would have explained to me, well, this has been shown to really decrease the risk of hemorrhage and there are really very few side effects, hands off, not not aggressive about it, but just explaining it to me, I probably would have accepted the Pitocin. On the postpartum unit, you had a lot of pushback from the nurses. They were all shocked. Like, you didn't have Pitocin? And they had to check you more frequently. And, like, it was a big deal. They were afraid of hemorrhage for you. Yeah, they, I felt, again, very judged, like, shock. And I just want to say that someone with, who has low risks for hemorrhage, it's really, they can do absolutely just fine if they don't have the Pitocin as well. It is kind of like an extra layer of assurance. And if there's concern for bleeding, you can get it at that time. It might not work as well as preventing the hemorrhage. You're saying in retrospect, you would have taken it. You got a lot of pushback and flack from the postpartum nurses for not taking it. And it was a concern. There is an op- there is an option to take it postpartum too, you're saying? Well, if somebody were to start bleeding, that's our first go-to drug. Right. But you were, in retrospect, you would have, knowing, had you been educated properly and knowing what you know now, or having your letter academy tell you that that's the appropriate thing to do, even though it's still called Pitocin, and it sounds like that horrible drug, it is the appropriate thing to do to prevent hemorrhage and to protect the mom postpartum, immediately postpartum. Correct. And it's still a personal decision, but something else that stands out to me was that they were literally just about to stab me with a needle without saying a word to me and telling me anything. And me, I I do have a more assertive personality. So I said, excuse me. I put my hand out. I said, excuse me, what are you doing? And they said, this is Pitocin because you didn't have an IV. You need a shot. And I said, no, thank you. And of course, again, I was met with like, judgment and shock and like I was just about to kill someone so it is a personal choice if somebody's explained and somebody who has risk factors for hemorrhage it's even more encouraged but again it's a choice and you just have to have all the information and understanding that you truly need to make that decision discuss with your provider Right, but your provider doesn't always have the time to explain the ins and outs so educate yourself too from a reliable source. All right. So going on to the next pregnancy, this time I did decide to take a break and use birth control. Birth control. And I'm really happy that I did. It was also a really hard transition for me from one to two. You were in school. I was in school with with Nisanal. I was in school full time and the break was very welcome. Also, they were practically Irish twins, these kids. They were 18 months apart and they were double trouble, double menaces, the older one would get the little one, manipulate him to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Nisano was a very... Sarlo was a precocious child, and Nisano was a very rambunctious child. So the two And a little of, naive. The two of them... Right, well, yeah, his sister was able to take advantage of him. So basically, we had murals all over the walls of our house. Every wall, we our apartment that we rented, every wall had big-time scribbles. And even before that, it was it was a busy time. Yeah, and also 
we had halacha guidance. We had guidance from, um, you know, Jewish law authorities. And there is definitely a time and place in Judaism for contraception, for birth control, especially when it relates to the health of the mother. We also had a boy and a girl, which in Jewish law, having a boy and girl by the majority of opinions is fulfilling the positive commandment to have children. Anyway, so I got pregnant with Ellie about two years, when Nisano was two years old. I have to say, though, the first one, we were young and naive. We got married. We wanted to start a family. We were naive as far as just what life really can bring. Not naive as we were idealistic. We wanted to start a family. At this point, after having a boy and a girl and having our hands full. And you were in school. Being in school full time. I was working full time. We, you know, in consulting with our rabbi, we decided to wait and to take a break and to catch up with life and to do what the responsible thing for us was for your body to heal and for us to come to some level of semblance of normalcy in our life. It was a transition time. I was in middle school, you were working, the kids, it was a lot. Anyway, so we waited and we grew into a little family and then one beautiful I don't know when it was, we both decided that, to, we decided together that we want to have number three. We we decided we felt ready. Yeah. With number three, again, I think the pregnancy, I don't remember it much. I remember, I guess I was just so busy with two toddlers. You were busy and also your pregnancy mindset was different because you, at that point, had started yoga, massive yoga. And you were like this big fitness yoga, crunchy granola person on your own. So through before you got pregnant with Ellie and throughout Ellie's pregnancy, you were super active in yoga and fitness and you were taking really good care of yourself even before the pregnancy. And you took that into the pregnancy. And I remember you consulting with, your, with our providers. We went with a midwife again um, and you consulted with them pretty seriously about can you keep up your level of activity? Can you keep up? what you're doing, and you were told yes, and you you were monitored for that, and you had a really different type of pregnancy because of the level of activity, and um, besides the two kids that you had you were taking care of, you were taking better care of yourself. I just also enjoyed the kind of exercise that I was doing at that point versus with Nisano. I exercised a lot too, but it was just like running on the treadmill. No, you were in love with yoga at that point, and I was, I had finished nursing school, and I had just started my first job, or I had graduated. It was somewhere between graduation and my first job that uh, we were... No, you had, before the birth, you had started a before job. Before the birth, I had started my first job. Had, but during that pregnancy, I was, I was in the first job. And also, that pregnancy was better because it was a winter. It was more of a winter pregnancy. So it was easier on your body. Yes, it was quite the busy time, and I gave birth in June, and that was seriously, for me, the best month to give birth in. It was so beautiful outside. The pregnancy was easier. Oh, also, you have to mention, we went a different way with this one. We we hired a hypnobirther. Yeah, and the reason how I found her was because I had a friend who had a lot of the same birthing philosophies that I did, and she had used Joan, so she recommended her. So I decided to start with someone new. She was also a massage therapist, along with being a hypnobirthing doula and hypnobirthing instructor. And hypnobirthing is not as crazy as some people may think it is. It's just really a form of meditation, a form of mindfulness. 
And it's a great practice to learn. I incorporate it still till today in so many different aspects of my life. I and it love- makes sense because labor, active labor, you're breathing and learning how to breathe to really control and relax your body to the next level just improves things, you know? I mean, the labor is so much easier for me. I barely felt anything. No, no, but you just also, you don't hypnotize yourself. I mean, maybe some people can, I don't know. But it was just practicing like guided imagery and it was just practicing on how to relax despite feeling pain, which for and me I also got, I also gotta say, as crazy as it sounds, it included me a lot more. There were some of the sessions that she came to train us in the hypnobirthing modality and the breathing and um well this was also a huge for me benefit and difference from the experience with my first doula was that she came to our house like I think at least two times before and I went to her to take some like refresher course I wasn't a first-time parent but kind of refresher and learn about the guided imagery and the hypnobirthing she was in on the game early on and she was an active participant early on and we were just able to develop a deeper relationship with her she understood what the priorities were for us she had the massage stuff up her sleeve she had the hypnosis the hypno the breathing techniques and the imagery up her sleeve and she had a whole slew of stuff that she was able to use to support Khani during the act of labor that we hadn't had previously. So let's get to one of her home visits. Do you want to tell the story? It was very weird because she came over and we sat on the couch and she was going to do hypnosis with us and this one was about sort of like getting in touch with the baby in the womb. So, of course, we did the breathing, and she had us in what was called a trance, and it was a quasi-relaxed state, but it was a focused state where our attention was focused simultaneously on the baby, and we both thought it was the weirdest, craziest, whacked-out thing. And um, Yeah, we were laughing We were We were really hard. laughing. I mean, she was deeply into it. Her eyes were closed, and she was in her pose, and she was, you know, all on another planet, but... At the end of the day, what happened was is she had us... She had us visualize what the birth would look like. She said, picture a color, picture the the scene of when your baby comes into the, the world. The time of day, the time of day meaning was it day or night, the color, any color that she comes to said, mind. She just picture as much as you can of the birth, like in, in greatest detail that you can. So we both had some things in mind, and the cool thing is, is when she took us out of the trance... She asked us what our thought, you know, what had popped into our heads, and it was pretty much spot on. We both came out with similar things, and what was even you more... Said, you said that you saw a bright blue, and I said that I pictured myself in the hospital room with the sun shining through the window and a very bright blue sky. Right, and that's really what happened. Ellie's due date was around the Jewish holiday of Shruis, and um, I was working then. I had just started working in a hospital. We were worried about when the baby would be born because you were working a lot of shifts and you were worried that you would have to stop in the middle of a shift and run out to a birth. To my, I was a new nurse on the unit. It wasn't easy to get coverage. I didn't want to mess up the flow of the unit. I didn't know if I'd be able to get off. There was no paternity leave at that time. For, I don't even know for my, now. For my unit, for my coverage, for the job that I had. 
you were still on probation, so you didn't really have any vacation days accrued. You also want to set a good example, and right. I don't. I don't want to mess things up for myself, and most importantly, I don't want to miss the birth of my child. So, anyways, I was due, so I was due a week after Shavuos, and people would joke and say, "Oh, it would be so cute if you were born on Shavuos," and I was in complete denial because I said, "Hey, listen, I'm going to be 39 weeks at that time." no way that I'm giving birth so early. The other two I was overdue and that's what I had in mind for this one. I didn't want to be disappointed. So in my head I said I'm going to go past 40 weeks. I didn't pack a thing. I said I don't want to jinx myself and pack any bags for the hospital. So I didn't pack anything and Arif Shavuos you were working a shift. Shavuos started late so it started past the time that you would finish your shift and I was busy preparing and running around. I had the other two kids with me. I remember I drove to pick you up from the hospital because you typically did take public transportation. It was the easiest way. You didn't have to worry about parking. It was a very busy area. So I picked you up. We drove home. We had a beautiful Shavuos evening, put the kids to sleep and we went to sleep ourselves. You did not feel comfortable staying up all night learning in shul and synagogue, which is what is traditionally done on the holiday of Shavuos, where we celebrate receiving the Torah. And I started feeling something sometime in the middle of the night. I suspected during the day already that labor had started. You were in denial, and I felt it was important to let Joan know so that we could plan accordingly. Yeah, and it was kind of like an afterthought, but right before I lit candles, we just quickly called her and told her that in case anything happens, I was in denial, and you said, just let her know, just in case she'll know, in case anything happens, because of the Shavuos holiday restrictions, we're going to keep phone calls to a minimum and just call her if we need her. So we told her, if we call you, it really means we need you, and we'll tell you to come either to the house or to the hospital. Right, and we ended up in the morning calling her and... One minute, one minute. Right, okay, go ahead. You know, you you have to start. You can't spoil everything. Yes, go ahead. So then sometime in the middle of the night, we had a beautiful Suda and sometime in the middle of the night, I had just been exhausted all day long. I couldn't really even listen to my body and to what was going on because I was so busy. And then we finally laid down to sleep, kind of like, I don't know, I think it was four-ish or so I woke up and I was feeling little twinges I'm like could this be it no it's impossible I was overdue with both of the others I'm only 39 weeks it's impossible and I said okay look I was at the point where I needed to get up and walk around a little bit I was getting uncomfortable but you didn't wake me no so I didn't because I figured I was able to handle it now so you may as well sleep and rest because when I need you if I did which I still was in denial about if I did need you then you would have the energy and by the way god bless you I would not have been able to do that you probably would have but I, I'm just saying like I tell this to dads all the time that are nervous that I see in the hospital that want a coffee and they didn't sleep all night and their wife is four centimeters dilated I always tell them no, no, go rest the same way that she's resting because she's going to need you later on and they don't want to eat because their wife's not eating in labor. And I always tell them, no, 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 you need to eat now because this later. This is true. This is a true practice. You'll hear we, we were in that position and, and Khani did tell me to go rest. And I did and she was right. Anyway, so I finally woke you up at one point because I was starting to feel things a little stronger. I was still in denial, but I said, you know, maybe. It was about maybe. six something. So, yeah, and it was about like, I was two hours in already with contractions and 
I woke you up and I said, you know, like, I think, I think maybe something's going on. We decided we're going to take the kids. You said, let me take the kids to my parents, which lived around, who lived around the corner. Sarah was like smart kid. So we told her, we said, you know, mommy might be having the baby today. So she goes to Nisano. Nisano, wake up. Mommy's having the baby today. <laughs> and then I put them in a double stroller, their double stroller. And I ran them, rushed them as fast as I can walk, run, jog around the corner to my in-laws, banged on their door. The men were coming home from shul, from services, from staying up all night. They were coming home to go to sleep. And I was running in the opposite direction, got to my in-laws, banged on the door. And I said, we got to go to the hospital. Here are the kids. And I ran back home and packed a bag. And meanwhile, while you took the kids, things really started ramping up. I remember I was really like huffing and puffing through this contractions and of course i hadn't packed a bag because i was in denial so you packed the bag as soon as it came and i threw threw a whole bunch of stuff in i was in no state to pack any bags and the cool thing was was you remember to take food coming back to our conversation about sleep and food you packed a lot of food you packed all the goodies that i made like i baked butter cake i still remember all those good stuff so you put them all in the suitcase which really came in handy because it was the first day of shavuos so it was a two-day holiday and for anyone who's not affiliated with judaism we have restrictions where we keep we don't call on the phone we don't drive cars etc we don't cook and all that stuff and um, obviously for health reasons we need to do what we need to do as you'll hear but so talking about life, life and health life and health trumps all yeah. so i think you were enough into labor that we were going to call Joan and tell her to meet us at the hospital. Yeah, at a certain point, again, I was like, okay, I, I don't care what this is, but this is, I, I can't breathe through this. So, of course, you probably also convinced me to, <laughs> you you convinced me to go to the hospital because I'm always in such denial. And we called a taxi. And, of course, as I'm getting at... Well, we called the midwife. The midwife said, I think, advised yeah. also for us to I go mean, to the hospital. always, always. And we called Joan and she also agreed. We met, she... And then we called the taxi. Right. And as we're getting into the taxi with our hospital bag, everyone, there's like hordes and flocks of men all walking from shul, just watching. We lived in a very heavily populated area. likes to go to the hospital with an audience every time. (laughs) She likes an audience. So we got to the hospital and I was a good like six, seven centimeters dilated. There was a new midwife actually that was on. I hadn't met her many times. She was so sweet. So she admitted me and it was early morning when I got to the hospital. As soon as we got there, Joan was there. And of course I had to do check-in again. (laughs) So I'm left, I know my wife's in active labor and I'm left just helpless and of course i have to do stupid paperwork but thank god joan was there and like i was like okay just take her go in they went right in and i was able to do the paperwork and by the time i i remember i was so emotional like when i saw i just burst out crying i i was so emotional i guess i was happy that i was having the baby and i was also feeling vulnerable so i was so happy for her support she was very very she is very maternal she's very nurturing and very yeah very nurturing not maternal in a condescending way. Not that mothers are condescending, no, but she's very gentle, she's very and caring. Back so and by the time I got into the labor room, she already had you going, and you guys were doing all your. I was in the shower. She had me and- go into the shower, and I hated the monitor. 
But I, even if I was a candidate for what's called intermittent auscultation or intermittent monitoring, where I didn't have to be on the monitor the entire time, there's still a period of time that I needed to be monitored initially. And the monitor was really uncomfortable for me when I'm in labor. I'm very sensory sensitive and I can't handle anybody touching anything. So the belts and the monitors are really uncomfortable for me. And the midwife was so kind. She just stood there and held the monitor on my belly while I labored in whichever position I wanted to. And it still stands out to me. I still remember that. It was just so kind of her where she just stood there and it's okay if the belts are not comfortable and she just stood there and let me do it. It was really, really meaningful to me. And Joan was also an amazing asset because she was putting you in different positions and she was massaging you. I'll never forget moments before you were ready to push. You smiled. You were calm. You had a peace from all the labor and it was the culmination of everything that you had been through with the midwife and really with Joan, you had done together an amazing job and you smiled and you were at peace and then it was time to push. And you were in an amazing position physically. I don't remember what position you were in, but it wasn't the traditional before you got probably on. probably squatting or something. Yeah, yeah. And that transition period that I experienced, there are many women that I see experience this where at a certain point things come to a standstill and it's your body actually naturally conserving energy for you to be able to push and your contractions space out. So they're not one on top of the other. And a lot of times in the delivery room, I see providers kind of get a little bit impatient. And if a patient is on Pitocin, they ask me how high is the Pitocin? And the patient starts to feel a little bit of pressure, like she doesn't, no pun intended, but she feels pressure, like why isn't the next contraction coming? And it always surprises me when the providers start to get this way because it's a natural physiological thing that our bodies can do where not everyone, but the contractions will spread out and that gives the woman enough time to catch her breath in between so that she can have really good strong pushes. And my body did this and that's why you remember me smiling. I was just so happy. I was there. This was thus far my shortest labor and a labor that I felt the most supported. And I was early. <laughs> and he, Ellie was my only early one to this day. I call him my preemie because he was born at 39 weeks. And the pushing was not long. He was born. It was just so beautiful. And the crazy thing is, is going back to when Joan was there and did that hyp- hypnosis exercise with us, there was a bright, the brightest blue sky outside. The sun was coming through the window. Not the sky a was blue. Cloud. And it was early morning. It was sort of this vision that we had connected with when she had us in this trance back in our house. Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. And it was the holidays, so we couldn't call anybody. There were no parents coming rushing in. It was shrewish. And it was just such an intimate, beautiful moment of just us and our new baby and... It was just, it was really magical and special. Yeah, that's true. The fact that we didn't have to rush and call everybody, we couldn't because of the holiday restrictions. It was hard like for two whole days not to call anyone, but the initial time, the first few hours after I had him, it was just really beautiful. And I hear that from people who have their baby on Shabbos who um, don't can't make phone calls as well. That's one of the nice things that they really enjoy, that they're not pressured to be making a thousand phone calls and letting everybody know. 
And then you walked home in that heat. <laughs> it was like a heat. Yeah, there was a, well, it wasn't on the way home that was the heat wave. Walking home, it was like an hour walk. I, wa- I wanted to go home and tell the family the, the wonderful news they were all waiting. But it was the next day that I wanted to get back really to spend with you and to be there with you. And that was when there was a heat wave. And I remember thinking, gee, okay, I'm going to make it to you. Either I'm going to pass out in the heat and Hatzalah is going to take me. To the same hospital, is, um, the volunteer is, ambulance yeah. service um, is going to get me there to the hospital, or I'll make it. And um, I brought along a change of clothes because I did make it. I sweated my buckets on the way there. I made it, and we had a really nice time together till till the end of the holiday, till the end of Shuas. And you didn't have to worry about leaving in the middle of the shift. You had already worked three shifts in the beginning of that week. So, right, so you those were, three days I was off and home. Yeah, you were done until the following week with work. Right, the next week I was scheduled at the end of the week. So I had finished the first three days of the week and then I had a week off in between, which is sometimes nurses get lucky to do their schedule that way, the first three days of the week and then the end, last three days of the week on the, on the next week. But it was it was a, it was a really beautiful experience. And if you guys want to know what Ellie's name was on his birth certificate, it was Cheesecake. Ah, we still the, call him our little Cheesecake. Yeah, his Cheesecake baby. And Shavuos is coming up, so we're gonna make him a nice little Cheesecake. So I think that with Naomi, we're gonna have to continue in another episode. It's Naomi just, was an interesting story. Well, Naomi is different because I was already a labor and delivery nurse at that time, so my experiences were very different and I actually did opt for some interventions. And given- also our kids were older and yeah. we involved them a little bit and you're just going to have to tune in to hear. It was a very interesting story of a experienced labor and delivery nurse and her family going through a pregnancy and labor. These were lower intervention births. I did opt for some interventions with Naomi. My perspective was a little bit changed. Just life circumstances were different too. It was very different. So I can't wait to tell that. Thank you so much, Tovia, for joining me. So exciting to be on. Can't wait to share the next story. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Next week, I am going to be airing an incredible episode with a maternal health expert that you're not going to want to miss. Very interesting and very applicable to so many of you. Thank you so much again for listening. Till next time. Thank you for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. If you're looking to learn even more about pregnancy and birth, check out this episode's show notes for a link to my Instagram account, Yolajet Academy. Before I sign off, I want to impart the value of seeking care from a qualified and trusted provider. Each person's situation is unique and requires individualized medical advice. The information here is not intended to replace that, but rather to educate you on what questions to ask. My mission is to enable you to communicate your needs and confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 